We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app welcome back it is hardline here on news radio 930 wben joe beamer brenda alacy brenda is off recovering from surgery and hopefully will be back with us soon Man, how good is Jacob DeGrom? Oh, that's a different show. Never mind. We are talking politics this hour on Hardline, and our next guest has announced his intention to run for governor here in the state of New York, and that is Congressman Lee Zeldin. Congressman, good morning. It's great to be with you. Listen, if we want to talk about uh, 14 strikeouts out of 18 outs, I mean, that's that's a hot topic, too. People, uh, People are talking about that this morning. I'll tell you, if I start talking Mets baseball, I'm going to get a very nasty email from my boss. But I could definitely go the rest of the show talking Mets baseball. <laughs> now, in trouble. Lee, you know, we, we, we know you were in Buffalo earlier this week or in the Western New York area earlier this week. But not many people know Congressman Lee Zeldin. So introduce uh, yourself to the Buffalo audience. I'm in my fourth term in the House of Representatives now. My uh, district is on Long Island. I served for uh, four years, two terms in the state Senate uh, before that. And uh, my background is the military. I spent four years on active duty, uh, deployed to Iraq with the 82nd Airborne Division in 2006. I still serve today in the Army Reserve as a lieutenant colonel. Uh, Married. I have identical 14-year-old girls, Michaela and Ariana. And uh, we announced for governor of New York April 8th, and since then, we've actually been out uh, to western New York twice. Uh, Tuesday, we were in Buffalo and uh, flew back up Friday after votes in D.C., and uh, Saturday morning had an event. So we did a four, a four-county tour uh, right after announcing Monday, Tuesday this past week, and now we're doing a seven-county tour uh, on our way back to the Capital Region. I'm coming back uh, upstate again next week. Uh, so we're trying to get all around the state. And uh, that's brought us to Buffalo twice. And I look forward to come back again and again and again. Now, this is probably more of a loaded question than it sounds, but what was it that made you want to run this 2022 election? People are hitting their breaking points right now, and they're fleeing the state, or they're getting close to fleeing the state. People are emotionally, passionately talking like this is their last stand. This is their last great opportunity to save the state. I'm hearing from people citing the high taxes, high cost of living, others concerned about uh, the state of public safety and the cashless bail and not supporting law enforcement enough and the defund the police movement. Uh, We saw in Ithaca where they had an NYPD cop killer as part of the task force to reimagine 
the Ithaca Police Department, and then others complaining that their kids aren't yet fully back in school, the quality of education needs to be improved, and of course, uh, so many New Yorkers feel like Andrew Cuomo has been there too long and it's time to go, uh, citing all of the, the different scandals, the, the deadly nursing home order and cover-up, uh, to most recently we saw the scandal involving the, the testing uh, preferential treatment for family members at private residence done by state health department officials, uh, and then the samples were sent to the front of the line at the state laboratory. Uh, New Yorkers are done with this guy. Uh, they want to move on, and they realize that this one-party rule is creating not just a, an imbalance politically, but also an imbalance geographically. Uh, it's okay for you know, a resident of New York City to feel like they have a voice, but not at the expense of everyone else feeling like they don't have a voice, and that includes every New Yorker in western New York who right now looks to Albany and feels like they don't have the representation that they deserve. Everyone deserves to feel like they have a voice in our, in our state's capital. Lee, I, I got to ask, do you think that you'll be running against Governor Andrew Cuomo? Do you think he's going to seek that next term? I remember a point about a month ago where it seemed like he wasn't going to survive a few more hours at all. And, you know, he's being stubborn about it, saying that he isn't going anywhere. He's in a term, as you know, that goes until the end of 2022. If he tries to miracle himself onto the ballot for November 2022, we'll be ready for him. But there's a possibility that the Democratic Party might have someone else on their line. And we'll be ready for them as well, because while we're talking about how this governor is embarrassing our state, disgracing himself, we're also talking about these policies that apply for these other names that are being mentioned. The New Yorkers are upset when they see a new income tax rate, what is for many New Yorkers now the highest income tax rate in the entire country, in order to pay for a multi-billion dollar fund for individuals who aren't legally in the country. Uh, we, we could go through a list of all sorts of really bad policies coming out of Albany, and whoever the nominee is, they're all going to have to own up for it because... It's their party. It's their people taking the state in the wrong direction. You know, you mentioned taxes, and it seems like COVID was the final breaking point for a lot of New Yorkers who, I mean, even in our audience texting right now, um, have moved out of the state. And that does start with taxes. And you hear Governor Cuomo say, well, people are just sick of the weather. So, If you were to uh, win in 2022, what would be that first thing to convince New Yorkers that New York is a state to come back to? What is a policy that we need to change to get people back to New York? So the the first exclamation point that gets put down as a marker is going to be the voters of New York, November 2022, electing a new governor. That, That right there is the start of the correction. When a governor gets sworn into office, one of the first things they have to do is put forth a budget, uh, and it's going to be important to bring uh, taxing and spending under control to start that process right out of the gate. Uh, and it's also about sending another message, you could say, culturally, as far as the business climate goes. No more of you know this nonsense where, say, Amazon wanted to move into New York State to have a big headquarters and thousands of good-paying jobs, a massive investment, and AOC and other elected officials are pushing them out and other businesses are watching. I was a state senator for four years. I remember Governor Rick Perry at the time. He was in charge of Texas. And he would fly into my state senate district to meet with a business CEO to get that business to move to Texas. 
And that business owner would complain they can't even get a return phone call from Albany anywhere in Albany. Uh, so you'll see it on the policy front. Uh, when As soon as you get sworn in, that first budget, that, that gets put forth. But also culturally needs to change uh, where we are showing businesses uh, that this is a place to business, that we welcome their business. We want others from other states to move here. We want to go to those other states to make the, uh, the point of why they should come back to or come to uh, New York uh, to expand, thrive here, and not, not leave. Uh, and that really starts on day one, hitting the ground running. You know, even though the election is next year, um, I think COVID will still be one of the main things people are talking about, how COVID was handled in 2020 and 2021. You know, we're sitting here in New York State, and I'm watching full baseball stadiums in Texas. I'm watching crowded stadiums in events in Florida, and I'm looking at the COVID positivity rate in New York and those other two states, and they're about the same. Um, so what is you know when this is all done when we finally can open back up what is the role of the governor or the message of the governor so we're not walking around you know i was at a hockey game yesterday and i was thinking am i going to have to walk around the rest of my life knowing that if there is another virus that the governor of a state can just snap their fingers and we're back to this what's the message of the governor got to be um to make people feel like we're not going to be locked down again well, for one, there needs to be a much higher threshold on the willingness of an elected official to try to control the behavior of individuals and businesses. If, if you want to impose any restriction ever on anyone's liberty and freedom, you better have a really darn good reason to do it. And it's got to pass every smell test. So when you impose, for example, a restriction that says you can't go to the gym after 10 p.m., you, you scratch your head and you say, well, if somebody wants to go to a gym at 11 o'clock at night, God bless them, why, why would you have them go at 9.30 to make it more crowded? You actually just imposed a policy that is the opposite of what you're saying you're going to do. All of our kids need to be back to full in-person learning right now. Uh, you have to. Uh, ensure that any business that you impose a restriction, a healthy, thriving business where they're, they're doing great and now all of a sudden they're, they're desperate to survive because of your policy of responsibility to make sure they're able to come out of the other side okay. And, and for some of these small business owners, I heard it from the owner of Olympic Restaurant uh, when I was at uh, breakfast Tuesday morning, and he was talking about how he was having a hard time getting his employees back because his employees, many of them are getting paid more to stay at home. Uh, so you have to think through it smartly. You can't just freely and willfully and, you know, with ego and hunger and thirst for power, impose restrictions on individuals, liberty and freedom that don't make a ton of sense. There's a high burden to be met. And in the policies that get implemented, you can't end up suffocating people, family, businesses, literally to death. And, you know, we saw it with the governor's nursing home order, uh, what he should have done a year ago. Uh, I mean, obviously he shouldn't have posted it in the first place. Uh, but when, when this was coming to light, you should, he should have been apologizing. He should have been owning up to it. He should have been transparent, providing information. Instead, he chose the path of a cover-up. He said he didn't have the time to provide the information, but meanwhile he had the time to write a multimillion-dollar self-congratulatory book uh, and, of course, we know the truth is the reason why the information wasn't provided, as Melissa DeRosa confessed, one of his top aides, 
was because they were concerned about a DOJ investigation. So you also have to be more honest and transparent with the public. Yeah, Lee, I have to say, uh, I was downtown, as I mentioned, for the game yesterday, and two of the biggest of the big restaurants by the arena closed and because, you know, they can't find employees that will come back. Uh, as you said, they, um, so they're closed as there's an event going on downtown. Uh, also announced this week, and I'd like your opinion on this, the county executive here in Erie County said that you would be required to be vaccinated to go to a Bills or Sabres game starting in September. Do you think that's something that should be mandated in the state of New York? I do not believe that. Uh, it should be mandated. I also uh, do not support this uh, the vaccine passports in New York. They're calling it an Excelsior Pass, uh, a very dangerous, slippery slope, uh, and a really bad call. Well, when you talk about freedoms, they know what that means personally. Uh, they This isn't some hypothetical conversation of, if you don't vote for me, this is what New York State's going to be like in the future. Individuals are living it right now, and they're looking at other states where their dollar goes further, uh, that people are not just more prosperous, but they also have more freedoms. And they're, they're living a better quality of life. And to the maximum extent possible, when you are an elected official, your responsibility is to make the lives of your constituents better. And if you're not doing that, and if you're actually seeking out policies uh, that are taking things in the wrong direction, in some cases it might be the best of intention. It's just a difference of philosophy. Uh, others, you know, very different example when you see, uh, you know, some representative of the state liquor authority you know, trying to find some business owner for not wearing a mask. And meanwhile, his restaurant's closed uh, and he's there all by himself. Uh, there's just a, a lot that needs to be cleaned up uh, and improved about state government to improve the quality of lives for New Yorkers. I do believe that when you talk about the attacks on our freedoms, just like the attacks on our wallets and safety, New Yorkers get it. They see it. Uh, what's better elsewhere, and they want it themselves here in New York. All right, I got to ask you about your colleague from Ohio, Jim Jordan, uh, this week and his back and forth with Dr. Anthony Fauci. Um, how much of the blame of these lockdowns is on Dr. Anthony Fauci, and how much should Jim Jordan's frustration be directed at? Pretty much the Democrats in Congress. You know, I, I think that. You know, he's in a district that, uh, that Jim comes from is one that didn't get hit anywhere near as hard as some other areas around the entire country. And that's an interesting and important perspective, too, because, you know, Long Island, the downstate New York region might have got hit first, got hit hard. Uh, but you can't, you can't paint with one broad brush this entire great big country. And these policies uh, that were being pushed, and we see it you know, straight through Joe Biden during his campaign and since he's been in office, is looking to impose mandates and restrictions you know, with federal control and, and telling states what to do. Uh, and, and a one-size-fits-all approach where Jim Jordan's district in Ohio should be treated the, the same way as uh, you know, an urban New York City district. And, uh, you know, you get the recommendations. Dr. Fauci has the position as the chief medical advisor to uh, President Biden. And with that comes a responsibility to be making sound recommendations, not just thinking through your expertise and your ideas with regards to the medical angle, but working with others in the administration to ensure that you are protecting freedoms 
that your your proposals do pass the smell test, uh, that the economy isn't left in shambles. Uh, we can't afford to keep passing trillion-dollar bills again and again and again. Uh, that, that's not going to get us out of this. So on many levels, on many different recommendations, coming from different people around this president uh, and pulling different strings of this president, ultimately, if you're going to come before the House of Representatives, you're going to be taking some heat and you're going to have to answer the tough questions, and that's fair game. Lee, I should have asked this question a few questions earlier. I, I apologize. I'm kind of backtracking. But my next guest is attorney Steve Cohen, and he represents 90 local bars and restaurants that have challenged the um, food with drink mandate. I don't know the official title of it, so I call it the food with drink mandate. And um, yesterday, he was told by a judge that the lawsuit is moot because the original uh, mandate had expired. What do you think of these mandates? After a month ago, we were told that the executive powers were taken from the governor. We found out two weeks ago that's not true and that he can actually continue to extend them. I guess it's a two-part question. What do you think about the mandate itself and the judge saying it's a moot point because the original uh, mandate has expired? Well, again, there was a mandate that lacked common sense. Uh, that took uh, good, strong, hardworking business owners uh, and and hitting them from multiple different angles crushed their business. Uh, You get to the point where many just didn't survive, others barely surviving, Uh, owners deciding not to take a paycheck because they'd rather pay uh, their employee and their bills. Uh, It's not easy to operate a restaurant. The margin is small as it is, uh, and with the capacity limits, uh, with the hour uh, restrictions and the curfews on so many different fronts, the state is responsible for you know, bringing a sledgehammer down on the business model of these hardworking small business owners. So uh, I think there's a responsibility to make these, uh, these owners whole uh, so that they can survive the pandemic. The only reason why they're in this position is because of the, the governor and the state's policies. With that comes a responsibility to help them out the other side of it. All right, Lee, before we let you go, it's an introductory uh, interview. Is there anything that I didn't hit on that you would like to say to the people of Western New York? Well, it's great to be on with you, and I look forward to coming back uh, to your area over and over and over again and fighting for you during this campaign and beyond. Anybody who wants to get involved in the campaign, uh, my website is zeldinfornewyork.com, all spelled out, Z-E-L-D-I-N, zeldinfornewyork.com. We're on social media. I look forward to coming back on air with you soon. All right. I look forward to it as well. Congressman Lee Zeldin, he will be running for governor of New York, maybe against Governor Andrew Cuomo. Now, that election a little over a year away. We will be following that. When we come back, as I mentioned, attorney Steve Cohen, he will tell us about the decision from the judge yesterday in the food with drink mandate case and what that next move is. I also have two other legal questions um, I want to Ask him. It's a quick interview, and then we will also be playing back an interview with Dr. Tom Russo. It's Hardline on WBEN. Welcome back. Hardline here on News. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Radio 930 WBEN. We talked about it last segment with Congressman Lee Zeldin. And this segment, we have attorney Steve Cohen from Hogan Willig to uh, update us on what yesterday was called a moot point. Uh, Steve Cohen is joining us. And Steve, yesterday a judge said that the lawsuit against the executive order is moot because that order has expired. Yes, good morning. Uh, yes, the, the rug was pulled out from Judge Walker, who was trying to help us. Gave, gave, he, was, he was trying to do the right thing. He was, he was trying to follow the law. And uh, his honor had, had issued several uh, correct rulings with regard to the, the COVID-19 uh, curfews and uh, measures. But what the attorney general and the governor did is they caused the, they caused the old law to be repealed and a new one to be issued so that the new law was not technically in front of his honor. So the, 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 the judge had his hands tied, and all of these judges are going to have their hands tied because now the law upon which our lawsuits, we have 15 of them, were based, don't exist, and replacement laws are there that say basically the same thing. So that's why we, we, are, follow, we are filing um, five lawsuits this coming week, you know, for the restaurants, for hockey, for youth sports and school and community-based sports, hair salons, schools, and landlords. And we're going to base it on the new law. And then guess what? When the, uh, when the state starts to see that the, they're losing those, they're probably going to repeal that law and enact a new one just to keep it from being able to be uh, fully adjudicated. So this became a, quote, moot point when the time was changed to midnight, or is this going back two weeks from tomorrow when he extended an already going um, executive order? Yeah, that further complicates it. Uh, it. There was an extension of the prior executive order, and that extension was actually um, invalidly processed. Uh, for a while, uh, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, the uh, uh, who's in the leadership of, of the legislature, she claimed, she stated, look, the governor didn't get us the proper notification for this extension that was due on April 6th, so it's not in effect. But she, she's gone silent since then. Uh, I'm not sure why. I can only speculate. But I'm talking about the, the statutory uh, basis for what the governor is doing. You know, the uh, executive law 29A and... Uh, uh, you know, I, I could rattle through all the statutory numbers, but we've got a, a, a we, we have a, a confluence of, sta- of executive orders and statutes 
that are all being moved around like a shell game just to keep the court from having jurisdiction. And, you know, judges need to follow the law. So uh, it, it is not just the extension from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock. The, the courts all said that doesn't moot it. That, that doesn't moot this at all. But it's the repeal of the prior laws upon which our lawsuit was based and the implementation of really essentially identical new laws that does technically moot it and deprives the court of jurisdiction. So that you've, you've said now you are going to get another lawsuit in place. When will that be filed, and when could these restaurants start seeing the result of that? Well, we're going to, going to be filing this week six lawsuits, uh, actually four of them for sure this coming week, and then two probably the week after. And uh, we, ha- we have to see because the, you know, we've had some trouble getting judges assigned. Many of them have recused themselves. And also in light of what the appellate division has done to, to several excellent rulings, uh, the judges are all nervous because they understand that the, uh, the, the appellate courts are just poised to reverse them. The, the, they're poised to support the governor who reappoints all these judges. I mean, you know, most of these judges were, were uh, appointed by Governor Cuomo to the appellate division, and those who weren't appointed by Governor Cuomo, there's still a few Pataki judges, one or two Patterson ju- uh, judges, but they all, their, their reappointments are gubernatorial. So whether they're Democrats or Republicans, they're looking to this governor to reappoint them. So we're not expecting any help from the, um, the appellate division. And, uh, you know, what was incredibly telling is that a, a very highly detailed decision by Judge Walker, which pointed to the illogic of the governor's executive orders, was vacated without a decision. It was a one sh- short paragraph ruling without giving any of the reasons by the uh, by the appellate division fourth department and when they, you know that tells you something when they when they strike down a preliminary injunction without giving a reason for it that is extraordinary because they don't have a valid reason as far that i can discern now steve just for you know there's been a lot going on the last month just for people to be reminded uh now there's lawsuits to stay open until four o'clock are there also lawsuits that bars don't have to serve food with beverage has that gone to court no, we, we, that, we didn't push that point, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, our clients said, although you know, it's, it's uh, uh, an annoyance and it's an infringement upon my client's rights to just get a, you know, just get a bourbon and not have to order fries with that, um, it, we're not losing money as a result of that provision. So you know, we haven't asked for that relief, but we have, in general, we have tried to strike down the, the entirety of the statute's insofar as uh, they, they take away businesses' right to operate at a profit. They take away the rights of patrons to, to exercise their individual freedoms. But we have not, in, in any of our oral arguments, talked about the uh, need for, uh, to, to uh, take away the, the food requirement. We did point out the incredible illogic of you know, this, this governor, who is now all of a sudden quite... Uh, power-hungry and, and quite drunk with power to decide what constitutes food and what doesn't. And that was just insane. And when he said chicken wings aren't food, well, now, you, now you're hitting Buffalo, you know, where it hurts. So we did raise that just to show the arbitrary and capricious nature of these rulings. But no, the specific food with alcohol has not been a center point of any of the lawsuits. All right, Steve, just two more questions. Uh, you know, these restaurant and bar lawsuits get all the media, but is there update on any of the other lawsuits that you are taking care of right now? Well, you know, we're refiling for hair salons and 
schools and gentlemen's clubs and, and, and landlords and youth sports, you know, there's an illogic. The state is saying you people cannot congregate. You know, you, you people can't congregate. Well, first, you know, the 74% of the spread of this virus happens in the home, and the other 26% uh, from every other conceivable uh, activity imaginable. But by limiting the hours, you know, at bowling alleys, at, at pool halls, at gentlemen's clubs, you're causing the same people who intend to use these services to congregate in higher con- uh, concentrations during the open hours. And if you're, if you're saying, well, but they can't come in after 10, 11, 12 o'clock, then those people are going to come in earlier, which is going to increase the, the crowd size. So it doesn't make any sense. And one last thing, we heard this morning on the news of colleges that will require, summer colleges that will require um, vaccination to go back to school. Do students that don't want to get a vaccine have any legal argument against those schools? And does it matter if they're a private or a state school? You, you just hit, hit the nail on the head. There are, uh, there are concepts here that are constitutionally um, blurry. There's, you know, there, there are the underlying doctrines that say, look, in the, in the absence of a detailed uh, reason, a compelling state interest uh, to, to restrict someone's rights, the rights belong to the people, to the states and to the people. This is uh, that the, the, we haven't started a vaccine lawsuit because they're all over the place. It was a case that goes back to 1905. Uh, that was the, uh, the Jacobson case, which dealt with smallpox vaccines and that people could be fined uh, $5 or even put in jail if they didn't get the vaccines. That's still good law, although it was written by the Lochner Court in 1905, which is a highly criticized court for judicial activism. But it's still good law, and we've had some judges locally uh, that have cited that law. So it's, it, it is not clear to me. But, uh, you know, let, let me remind everybody that the state of New York has been through 41 pandemics or epidemics or virulent outbreaks of deadly pathogens and we've gotten through it just fine without governmental restrictions we've gone through you know typhoid typhus malaria smallpox uh, cholera list goes on and on i go 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 back to the 1600s even before the uh, the the constitution was created but we've had 41 virulent outbreaks yellow fever We've, we've gotten through them because people can be counted on to do what's in their own best interest we don't need the government to act like our parents and we certainly don't need a king. That's not even permitted, but that's, the, the Constitution seems to have been thrown into the garbage, and everyone is just so frightened that they're willing to give up their li- liberties. And that's, uh, that, that's uh, frightening, and it's going to have an effect. I think you said earlier on your show, I tuned in uh, earlier, you said that I think they're going to be talking about this in, in, in 2021, 2022. I think they're going to be talking about this for generations. I think we're going to look back, and I think in hindsight, what society has done, uh, the, the per, permitting our government to take over and impose martial law is going to be the, uh, the, the, um, the focus of law school classes and civics classes for the next generation. I, I agree with you. Steve, I know you're busy. I appreciate you joining me on such short notice. Thanks for having me. Attorney Steve Cohen with Hogan Willig giving us an update on those lawsuits. We appreciate that. It is 1146. It is Hardline. And as I mentioned earlier this week, Brian Mazarowski and myself sat down with Dr. Tom Russo to talk about vaccines. Now, you've heard this in the news. The Pfizer CEO saying that there may need to be a booster shot in 12 months. 
It was, by, by the way, the same week that Moderna said six months after your second dose, you, are still, you still have a 90% um, effective vaccine. So interesting timing. Uh, but we did ask Dr. Russo what he thought of the news. And here is a little bit of that interview from earlier this week on BMAS and Beamer. We heard from the CEO of Pfizer yesterday saying that uh, you could need a, a COVID booster shot um, for if you got the Pfizer vaccine uh, within 12 months. And, you know, I this is one of the things, even more so than when the Johnson & Johnson vaccine was put on pause and everyone kind of says, well, oh, is that going to increase the hesitancy of taking the vaccine? Uh, this is the thing that, you know, I said, wow, that's, you know, not great if you're trying to convince people to take the vaccine. We, we know the vaccines work, and yet you're coming out here and saying already, well, take another shot. You're going to need another one uh, that you're going to have to get. Uh, what do you think of the comment that was made yesterday? Um, what could have uh, spurred that? And uh, I guess, yeah, we'll, we'll just start there. What could have spurred that? <laughs> Brian, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you know, I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, I'm going to allow you to say out loud what spurred that, because I think we perhaps could all speculate what spurred that. But let me just lay this out, because I think the reality is, the truth is, we don't really know, A, if we're going to need a booster, and B, if we're going to need a booster, when. And so let me just break this down. There's two reasons that one needs a booster shot. It's if when you were vaccinated, the vaccine is still very effective against whatever that vaccine is directed against. But over time, that level of immunity wanes. An example that everyone, I think, could appreciate that's listening are, is tetanus. Every, you know, decade or so, you know, we need a tetanus booster because that immunity has the ability to wane over time. The other reason you might need a booster is if a strain evolves and is selected out, that is resistant to the vaccine. The vaccine is no longer effective or optimally effective. And the example that everyone could appreciate with that is influenza. And that's why we get our annual influenza vaccine. At this point, no one knows how long this generation 1.0 of uh, uh, COVID vaccines is going to last. In fact, Moderna just released data that's looking great at six months. And we know vac vaccination immunity is almost certainly stronger than that afforded by natural immunity, which is looking good, you know, even longer than that at this point, uh, albeit imperfect. So no one knows the answer in terms of assuming that there's no variants that evolve or dilute it, how long it's going to last. People are nervous because respiratory viruses, immunity seems to wane more quickly against other pathogens, but we just don't know. And then the back half of that is, is there a variant that's evolved that could avoid the protection afforded by these vaccines? And again, the answer is no, not at this time. You know, maybe there's some variants that there'll be a few more mild symptomatic infections. And in fact, the Pfizer data from the vaccine shows it looks great against the most worrisome variants. So, uh, you know, I'll let you guys speculate why a CEO of uh, a major corporation line has speculated that you need more of my product. <laughs> yeah, I that trust me, that is one of the top thoughts. But, you know, going back to what you just said, um, the idea is with a booster shot that this vaccine only lasts so long. You know, it, it, if you need a booster shot within 12 months, that's because the vaccine loses its efficacy uh, over that period of time. But right now, there's as far as I 
have read, there's nothing that points to the vaccine that you get, any of them out there, uh, losing its effectiveness over any period of time so far in the time that we've had it, right? Spot on. Absolutely correct. So uh, this statement uh, came a little bit out of right field, um, you know. And if you listen very carefully to his words, and trust me, I did, he sort of acknowledged all of those things. Well, we don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know if variants are going to escape this. And then drops the bomb. But, you know, I think you might need a shot in the fall. So it really didn't make any sense to me at all. And I agree with you. The timing was less than excellent. Uh, And I think it's important to get the message out there to our listeners and people in general that, uh, like most things in in this pandemic, there is a lot we don't know. And we just don't know how much mileage we're going to get out of our vaccines at this point. And we don't know if a variant's going to evolve that's going to, you know, elude its immunity to the degree, you know, causing serious disease that we need a booster on that account. I think what's good, though, is the companies are getting prepared, though. So they're developing formulations and testing them. So just in case we need them, we'll be ahead of the game, right? And, and so I'm all in favor of that part. But announcing, you know, timing of, you know, we will need one and when, I think, uh, really uh, was, was really not optimal. That was Dr. Tom Russo. And, and as the doctor said, I mean, we don't know. We, we don't know when we're going to need another booster. But the Pfizer CEO coming out, it doesn't look good, right? Have a doctor come out. Have a scientist on the staff come out and say, hey, you know, after we've done some research, but... You look at the clinical trials. I mean, those some of those didn't even start a full year ago. Uh, so it's one of those wait-and-see things. Uh, that was from BMAS and Beamer. You can catch that weekdays 9 to 10 right here on News Radio 930 WBEN. And I got a text from my co-host here on Hardline, Brenda Alacy. She says hello to everybody, and hopefully she will be back here very soon, and we can uh, get the show back, back going. Um. If you missed any of Hardline this week, it's available on demand at WBEN.com and on the Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Also, we'll be back here 10 o'clock next week. And as I mentioned, Beamaz and Beamer, 9 to 10, Monday through Friday. David Bellavia, 10 to 2. Tom Bowerly, 2 to 6. Finishing everything off with Buffalo's Evening News with Tom Puckett, 6 to 7. So we hope to see you starting at 5 o'clock with a new morning with Susan Rose and Brian Mazarowski. Tomorrow, Buffalo, have a great Sunday. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you to my guests, State Senator George Borello, Congressman Lee Zeldin, and Attorney Steve Cohen. I appreciate it. Great talking to you. We will talk to you tomorrow on WBEN.